If you would remain standing, I am going to read the scripture that we're talking about this morning. My name's Maya, by the way. I was going to start with that and I forgot. <laughs> so this is Acts 2, verses 14 through 21. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and the glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Let's do this. Let's, uh, let's pray and open. We've been in a series on Acts for a couple weeks and uh, are going to continue on today, as you just heard uh, Maya read uh, through a, a section of, of chapter two. And so we're going to pick up and, and walk through that together um, uh, this morning. And if you, uh, Connor mentioned it a few moments ago, but uh, we have just this morning, I don't remember what the exact hour was that we kind of concluded our time in, in the prayer room, but to be able to to pray together as, as a church. And whether you took advantage of that time to, to schedule and to come in into the room and spend time in there, um, or you, you prayed on your own in, in some way this, this week, but as a church that we come to God uh, and say, God, we want you to meet us. And our, 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 our request, our theme for this week in particular uh, was that we know that the Holy Spirit is working in each of us that knows Jesus and in our world today through us and that we want to see more of that Holy Spirit power come in our own lives and through us as a church, many other churches in our city as our city needs Jesus. And so I um, want to ask for that now as, as we pray and, and continue to walk through uh, the book of Acts together, which is all about uh, the Holy Spirit first working through through followers of Jesus uh, some 2,000 years ago. So let's pray, and then we'll look, look at these verses together. God, we are with you. You are here, and we declare that you are good, that you um, see us, that you know us, that you love us, and uh, our desire is to, is to meet with you today. Our desire is to know you and to hear from you, uh, to worship you. Uh, to understand just a little bit more of your character and your power and your goodness. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask for you to help make that happen. Would you be working in and through us in this space? Would you be working in this time and in this room? Would you have free reign to do what only you can do? And as we read of your, of your work and your movement throughout this book in the Bible, this book of Acts, would we actually taste and experience more of your power and of who you are. And so we ask you to work right here in this time that we would be aware of it and conscious of it and hear, hear from you. And Jesus, without you, none of this is possible. Without your resurrection, we're fools and wasting our time. Without your promises and your truth and your teaching, we wouldn't know how to make it through this life. And so we desperately need to hear from you. 
And so would you teach us in this time? Would it be your voice that we hear? It's in your name that we pray. Amen. I, uh, I love how this works out. Um, we didn't plan it. Uh, uh, Tyler, who's leading our band today, uh, uh, with his band, picks songs. But we, we sang a few words in a, in a song a few moments ago that uh, something, I might not have the exact words right, but to all of my questions, you are the answer. And it's a song that we, we just sang to, to Jesus, saying, declaring that Jesus is the answer to all of our questions. Uh, and I want to start with a, with a handful of questions this morning. And uh, the first five questions, we're not going to answer these. I just want to read them in front of us. Now, these first five questions are, are commonly accepted as the, uh, as the most important questions uh, of life. And, and there's, you know, they, they change a, a little bit, but but mostly there's four or five that are the most important questions in all of life. And so maybe you're familiar with these, maybe you're not, but um, here they are. I don't have them memorized. Where did I come from? Number two, uh, who am I? Why am I here? How should I live? And where am I going? Where did I come from? What's my origin? Where, you know, like what's my story? Uh, and then along closely related to that, who, who am I? How do I understand myself? What's my identity? Now, why am I here? Get, quickly get, to, if I know who I am, then what's, what's my purpose? How do I understand of, of, of why do I exist? Is there meaning in this life? How do I go through this life? How, how should I live? Uh, and then where am I going? If I, if I choose a path to go, where, where is that going to lead? So these are kind of, in some form or another, these are considered the most important questions that human beings, culture, and history over come back to over and over and over again. I was thinking about questions this week and asked a few, few friends, few people, um, people I come in contact just this last week and say, hey, what are, what are common questions that are just, that you keep coming back to right now in, in this life? And here's, here's kind of, current day questions that, that I got feedback on this, this week. Does all this mean anything? So somebody going, okay, I'm going through this life. I'm trying to make sense of this. I'm trying to make sense of just my physical being, the things that I, that I touch, that I own, how the world works. Is the world going to exist in another hundred years? Like, does all, does all of this mean anything? Does any, anyone know me or want to know me? That's not want to know me. Does anybody know me, really know me, or does anybody even want to know me? So it's kind of speaking to that, that question of loneliness, of relationship, of, of friendship. Is my pursuit of safety, pleasure, and achievement going to be enough for me? So whether it's, whether it's running away from fear and getting to a place of, of safety and security, or if it's, it's running towards something I experience, pleasure or achievement, something that I can achieve, those things, if I try to feel run from fear and find safety or run to, to pleasure or So this, this speaks to not just what happened in our city this week, but, um, but also to the bigger question of suffering in life. Like, why does life not go the way that it should or seem to be? Or why is there pain involved in Good gosh, why couldn't that have been different? But so that, that this kind of specific question of, uh, of, of, of uh, a long time, an 11-year pro who's done so much for our city, get traded away to some other place, apparently in the U.S. somewhere, but why couldn't he still be here on our team? So suffering. And the last one is this. <clears throat> Don't all faiths, religions lead to the same place? So as I, as I think about spirituality, I think about questions that I can't answer, as I think about what I believe and trying to make sense of all of this, does faith and religion's attempts 
to answer questions. So it doesn't all lead to kind of the same place. And so what if, do I, if I pick one, does it really matter that much? And, and that kind of a thing. So these are questions I just heard back from this week of friends and people I talked to. Like, what are questions that are struggling or resonating with you right now? There's, as we walk through these verses that we heard, heard Maya read, as we, as we take the next step in, in the book of Acts, there's, there's questions that are answered in, in these specific verses that we're gonna, we're gonna look through together this morning. And they, they actually tap into both the biggest questions of life that, that culture and history over is asking in its own form every generation. And then there's there, there felt need questions that each of us have right now as we wake up and go through our day that are immediate right now. There's questions that are kind of overarching that always exist and there's questions of, of right now. And it, it answers all of these in the person of, of Jesus. And Peter is gonna, is gonna stand up and, and teach for the first time. And if you haven't been with us, we, we, we read last week of the coming of the Holy Spirit at a day called Pentecost and this, this wild scene that happens and God giving his spirit to his people for the first time and the church really starts in that moment. And the Holy Spirit is there and active and, and society or the city or the public responds to the experience of the spirit and the followers of Jesus that are in that room for the first time experiencing the Holy Spirit. And the city responds. And then Peter stands up and begins to answer the questions. And he moves through what we're gonna look at as four questions. And this is, these are the four questions that he works through in answering all of the questions that always exist. What's happening? We're gonna see that really clear. He's just gonna say, this, this is what's going on because it's really confusing and unseen. Now, who is Jesus? Why does this matter? When we answer the question of who is Jesus, it comes with this other answer of why does that matter that we have an understanding that we answer the question of who is Jesus and then what do we do? Where am I going? How do I live? What, what do I do in response to who Jesus is and, and why this matters? And again, we, we just sang this song of in all of our questions, you are the answer, Jesus is the answer. And this is what Peter is, is ultimately saying and he says it in this really wonderful, beautiful and, and clear way as he walks through. So. Let's look at this as we work through these four questions. What's happening? Peter stands up, and again, if you don't remember, if you weren't here last week, or if you've not read this or familiar with this story, these, these people, and we think it's probably close to 120, somewhere between 70 and 120, who are followers of Jesus, hanging out in this big room. The Holy Spirit comes, there's wind, and then there's what looks like tongues of fire over them. And then they, they start talking in all of these different languages, and, and not, uh, uh, not ones that can't be understood. It actually is a, in, a, in a city where there's people that have come from all over and speak all these different languages. Every person could hear in their own native tongue somebody in that room talking. So it was all of these languages and they're, what they're doing is they're worshiping. They're telling of the wonders of God. They're saying, this is how amazing God is and we're experiencing God in this thing. And so crowd gathers around and Peter goes outside and it says this. Then Peter stood up with the 11 raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem. So the Jews had come from all over, speaking different languages, plus everyone who's a resident of Jerusalem. Let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. So the Holy Spirit came early in the morning. This scene happened and some people said, what does it mean? So they're leaning in, they're asking a question. What, what is this mysterious experience? Others say, this is crazy, this is just a bunch of drunk people. And Peter starts off the first, think about it this way. This is kind of like the first 
church gathering, first kind of worship service ever. People from the public are coming in and Peter stands up kind of for the first time ever to teach in a church setting. And he says, no, 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 honest, we're not drunk. These guys aren't drunk. It's nine in the morning, they, they wouldn't do that. You know, they only get drunk at night, not in the morning. I mean, that's, that's not what he said, but he's saying like this, come on guys, like they're not, we know culturally like this doesn't happen. People don't get drunk in the morning. There's something else going on here. And then what he does is he quotes an Old Testament passage and the passage from a book called Joel, which is in the Old Testament. And it's a, uh, uh, it's a, what's called a prophet who is somebody who says true things in the moment or true things that are yet to come. And they're a voice for God. And so God has spoken through this prophet Joel. He's written it down. And so it's in the Old Testament. It's a short book in the Old Testament. And Joel talked a lot about judgment. Joel spoke for God and said, what you're doing is not pleasing to me. He's a voice for God. And so here's what's going to happen to you. You're going to be corrected. You're going to be punished. You're going to be judged as doing wrong. And so most of what Joel says is about judgment. But then there's also this woven in, there's these promises. But God loves you and he's going to do good for you if you turn to him. So that's the, that's the whole book of Joel, kind of in a, in a quick snapshot. Peter says this. So first time teaching in the church, the crowd's there. He's answering the questions of the crowd. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And you heard this just a few moments ago. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show you wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of our Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a, another wild scene. They've just experienced a wild scene with the, the Holy Spirit coming and then and then Peter, from, from memory, recounts this portion of, of the book of Joel. And it's, it's this one that is following words of judgment. And most of the people there listening would have been familiar with this. And what Peter is doing is he's looking to scripture, their scripture. They didn't have the New Testament yet. They're literally living it. But they had the Old Testament and they were familiar with it. And so they had scripture. And most of the people in the crowd would have been familiar with Joel. And so Peter is quoting something that they already know. And what he's doing is he's explaining what's happening. This wild scene right here in Jerusalem at nine in the morning, this wild scene that has drawn you here, this, this wind and this fire and these people speaking a different language. Let me explain it to you. And in order to explain what's happening in their life in real time, he looks to scripture. He looks to scripture to try to explain what's happening. And he says, here, here here's how we can understand it. God is in Joel promised to judge, but then he also gives a promise and he says, I'm, there's gonna become a day when I, when I give my spirit and it's gonna to be to all people. And all of a sudden they're hearing words that they're familiar with and all of a sudden they're seeing it in a new way. They're seeing it through a new lens. Peter looks to scripture 
in order to explain what's going on in, in real time. You heard a, a, a few moments ago that we uh, collectively as a church are starting a, a Bible reading plan. Um, for, and I, I did the same thing that, um, that Connor just, just shared. I went on early this morning and, and signed up for it and saw who else was already in there and saw who, who got up really early and, and read um, earlier. And, and then there was, there was somebody who had already commented and, and read uh, Psalm 1, Matthew 1, and Genesis 1 and 2 or part of 2. I'm just starting to read. When, when we go to scripture, one of the things that we find, and it's, it, it, it isn't always just readily available. We have to look. Sometimes it takes some reflection. Sometimes it takes some study. But when we read scripture, we actually find out what's happening in our lives today. We get explanation for the things that we don't have answers for. We, we get a framework for understanding the world that generates all these questions that we have. Scripture actually has the answer. And so what Peter is doing is saying, we're going to go to Scripture together, and I'm going to explain what's happening in the here and now. What is happening is this promise that was long ago that you've not seen move forward, that you've been waiting on this promise being fulfilled that God would send out his spirit in the last days. He says, this is it. This is it. God's spirit is here. And so what he's saying is he's announcing we're in the last days, which when we hear last days, we think like almost at the finish line. Um, that's not what Peter is necessarily saying. He, he would have hoped and thought that the final kind of judgment and promise and fulfillment of the kingdom was, was right around the corner. Now we're 2,000 years later. It's not. We're in, a, we're in a period, which is the last days. And one of the ways that we know it is because the Holy Spirit is active in our lives and in our church and in our world today. And it's a fulfillment of this. And it's for everyone. It wasn't just for Pharisees or Sadducees or priests or, or men. It was for everyone, sons and daughters, Young men and old men, male servants, female servants, men, women, everybody, every color, shape, type of person. It is for everyone that God actually loves and is present with everyone. And no longer just with a nation or in a temple. But God is present with each and every one of us here now. So there is a radical shift that has happened. And so as the crowd comes in and says, what's going on? Peter says, well, let's go to scripture and help me. Let me help you understand what is happening here and now. And what happens for Peter is a model for me and for you. What happens in, what Peter does is actually a model for us. That you and I actually have the minds and the creativity and the awareness, the capability, the gift of the Spirit, the presence of the Spirit in order when somebody asks a question that we can go to Scripture, that we can be present and ask for somebody else because we, like Peter, have an experience with Jesus. We, like Peter, have the presence of the Holy Spirit. We, like Peter, have scripture that we are actually equipped, maybe not to stand up on the side of a street, maybe not to stand up in, in front of a group of people, but to, to sit with a, a friend or a family member or a spouse or a son or a daughter and say, yeah, there's questions right now of what this all means and how to live this life and how to make sense and how to deal with suffering. And, and we actually have a guide and it's through scripture and it's through the presence of the Holy Spirit and it's through an, a relational interaction with the savior of the universe, Jesus. And so let me tell you about that. Let me share with you that. G Peter is a changed person. This Peter that we just read about who stood up and with a loud voice said in front of a bunch of strangers, that wasn't Peter. Some of the last signs we have of Peter of him fleeing in fear because somebody was associating with him with Jesus. And all of a sudden, something is different about Peter. 
And one of the things that is different about Peter is that the Holy Spirit is with him. And so he has a courage and a confidence and a capacity and a gifting that he didn't have before. And one of these things that this tells us is that that's true of you and I as we follow Jesus and become attuned to the Holy Spirit in our life, that we actually could be used like this. Again, not necessarily in front of a crowd, a bunch of people that speak different languages, but all understand Greek, but with a person, with a coworker, with a friend, with a loved one. That's what's happening. That God is showing up in a new way and there's a new way to experience his salvation, his promise. Peter, Peter goes on and he begins to answer the second question of who is Jesus? And so he says, that here's, a, here's a passage from Joel that explains what's going on. The Holy Spirit's here. Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. And then he goes on and he says this in verse 22. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited to God, accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was, and here's the story, he was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, again, Peter's speaking to a crowd of Jews, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And then he goes on in verse 29, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. And then he goes on in verse 30, 32, God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Peter's telling the story of Jesus. Peter's answering the question of, of who is Jesus. And he gets right to the point really quickly. And what we have here is, is most likely like a Cliff Notes version of, of Peter's teaching. This isn't necessarily word for word everything he said. He probably said a lot more than this, but he gets right to the point of answering who is Jesus. And he goes in and telling the story. He said, and he's basically saying, like, let's review. We know Jesus was a guy who, who walked around and everybody knows that he was, he was executed. Let me tell you who Jesus is. He wasn't just a guy who was executed. He was a guy accredited to us by, by God, that, that God proved that he was special and unique and he did it by signs and wonders and miracles and Jesus' teaching and his impact on the society at the time and then their response to him made it pointed that he was different than anybody else. And then he was crucified and he puts it right on them. He says, you as a, as a people, you as an ethnic group, you as the Jews, you, you killed him. Now, now, God had this planned out, but, but you killed him. So he's talking to a crowd, and he's not necessarily winning any fans at this point because he's saying, you all killed him. You had some help from some wicked guys, but you nailed him across, and you killed him. But God raised him from the dead. So there's the resurrection. You got the death, the resurrection. And then he adds in this last part at the end, which is a word that we're not necessarily familiar with, and maybe, maybe we don't think about this with Jesus in particular very often. But he was, he was crucified. He was dead. He was risen from the, from the dead. He was resurrected, a unique e e experience in all of history. But then the, the new word I want to add, if you, if you don't commonly think about this, is the word exalted. Peter goes out of his way to make sure that they understand not only did he rise from the dead, but then he ascended into heaven. And when he ascended into heaven, God exalted him and put him right next to him, the right hand of God. And so in a Jewish culture, they all would have worshiped God. 
But Jesus would have been in their eyes an offense to God because he was killed on a tree. He couldn't possibly be the promised one that God God promised it was gonna make everything better in life and restore everything that was broken. Jesus couldn't be that. Peter is countering that and saying, no, Jesus was that. He was exalted. So he died, he rose, and then he was exalted next to him. And he weaves in this little thing about David. Now, what he's doing is he's saying, you all have a reference point. I'm gonna tell you about Jesus and how unique and special he is, and you have a reference point. The the, the most impressive person you can think of is David. He was the good king that he reigned when, when Israel was at its peak. David was his great guy. He had some flaws and messed up, but he was his great king. So the patriarch David, but you guys can go visit his tomb because he's still buried. You can go visit him where he is buried because he lived, died, buried, end of story. He's still in the grave. And so one of the things that Peter's doing is saying, your reference point of the highest person that you've seen and has walked this land is David. But David is still buried and Jesus is exalted next to the right hand of the Father. Jesus is unique. There's no one else like Jesus. Who is Jesus? Jesus was God's appointed one who lived, died, was buried, rose again, and was exalted to the right hand of the Father. There's no one like him. I, uh, I've been making a point to go to the same uh, line in the same gas station um, whenever I need gas. And um, I got gas uh, early on Thursday morning. And I went in the same line. And the reason I'm doing this is because I'm, I'm getting into these really brief conversations with, uh, with Ray. And um, I, I think our... our uh, our policymakers are against my relationship with Ray because they're, they're trying to force Oregonians out of their vehicles to pump their own gas, um, which is, I mean, it's why my family moved from California to, to Oregon 16 years ago. Like, it's, I, I want to not have to pump my own gas. But um, so anyways, I still go onto the lane that, that is uh, um, not self-service, so I do not get out of my car. But it's for real spiritual reasons. It's to get to know Ray. So uh, I, was, I, was, I was glad when Ray came to my, my window and gave him my card and said, hey, what's up? And he goes, hey, he's a super friendly guy. He, to be honest, he initiated the relationship. Um, and just super friendly, asked about me. So he, um, I'm, I'm rolling through on Thursday morning. And he goes, hey, weekend's coming up because he knows my day's off are Friday and Saturday. And I go, yep, off Friday and Saturday. And it finally clicks to him. He goes, how, how are you off on Friday and Saturday? Like, what do you do on Sunday? I said, oh, I'm a pastor. And he goes, oh, which is great. His, his facial expression didn't change, which isn't true of many people. Um, usually they make a point to say, I'm zero interested in that answer. Please change the subject. Um, but he, he, his, his eyes were still lit up and he still was smiling. And he says, oh, it goes great. And so had to turn away to do something and, and comes back and he's like, hey, question, what, what's the difference between a priest and a, and a pastor? And I said, oh, let me tell you, I'm really excited to tell you this. Um, uh, we're not celibate. And we, no, and I said, that's not what I said. That was like the third thing I said. Um, I said, oh, okay, well, that, that's a good question. I said, priest is like a, like a Catholic priest, is, you know, um, you know, kind of explain this. And, and, uh, and he goes, and you're, um, and I go, and I'm married and, and, you know, I have a family and, um, and I'm, and so he, we, we kind of talked and put it together. And he's like, oh, okay. So it's like a, like a Protestant Christian church. Yes. Versus a Catholic church. Yeah, yeah, okay. So he walked away and did something, comes back and he says, yeah, I, uh, I research uh, religions. Um, and I, and I, uh, 
you know, so I look, so you just, so, so I can like kind of know, know the difference and, and I, and I kind of look and yeah, it kind of seems like they're all, you know, there's a ton of overlap and they're kind of all the same. And, um, and I look into this and I look into that and he starts listing all these, all these things and talking about what he, what he researched, which is great that he still wanted to be, to engage. There wasn't any sense of like, uh, I'm a weird pastor guy and, and I'm a Christian. And so like, you know, would you please move to the other line and pump your own gas from now on? Like he was really still engaged. And, but as he was talking about what he was learning about, it was with this sense of, I'm not looking for an answer. I'm just curious about what's out there. And everything that I find kind of overlaps. And they kind of say the same thing. And they're kind of, and I said, the very text that we're, we're walking through as a church right now is, is the counterweight to that belief. It's the, it's the stop sign to that path of going down of, 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 to a place that says like, yeah, all religions are just there to kind of to help people get through this life and who knows what happens in the afterlife. And nobody can really know. We can't really have an understanding, but it's just kind of to soothe and, and to help people. And maybe it's probably for those that are a little bit weaker and the stronger ones don't necessarily need religion. And they all kind of say the same thing and they're just creative different takes on the same thing. And, and we would say, and Peter would say in the very first teaching in the very first church gathering ever, that there is no one like Jesus. That Jesus stands alone is absolutely unique. There's no one that comes close to him. There's no one that, that compares to him. Of all the stories that have all been created since then and before then, before the pivot point of all of history of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there's not even a story that attempts to say that the God who is all-powerful creator of the universe steps into the human condition willing to suffer and feel pain and to give up his life in order to create a way to be in relationship and to restore what is broken in humanity in the world. There's not another one. I was talking to another friend this week that said, who is a believer and part of Mosaic, and he said, I'm starting to look into the Baha'i religion. And it wasn't because he was exploring and trying to, to, to pick a new path. He's a follower of Jesus. He's a part of our church. He says, but I have some coworkers and some friends who have started talking to me about this. I don't know anything about it. And I didn't really know anything about it at all. I kind of guessed, and is, is it this? And he was like, yeah, no, not at all. And it's a, it's a religion that comes out of uh, Iran in the Middle East. And um, it's, it's an attempt to say all religions have some kind of value, but they all kind of say the same thing. And Muhammad and Jesus are all great guys. And there's a bunch of other great guys. And they're, they're all good. And it's good. You know, you can kind of put them in a big mixture and great. And and please be peaceful and kind and good to people around you and all those good things. But it misses on Jesus. And Peter answers the question of what is happening and quickly moves to the most important thing, which is Jesus. And this is not just a reminder to those of us who believe. This is not just a new information and the greatest story ever told if you're here and you don't know the good news of Jesus, if you don't know the gospel, if you don't believe in Jesus yet it's also a, a model for us of what we are actually empowered to do. Because we have the Holy Spirit with us, because we've experienced Jesus, because we have scripture, we can actually tell this story. We know it to be true. That Jesus lived was completely unique, that God planned this, God sent him, he obeyed his father and came. That he was brutally executed and crucified on a cross. That he was dead and buried. That God raised him from the dead. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit power that we talk about now, the very power that God used to raise him from the dead is available for us to be able to tell the story that he rose, ascended, and was exalted at the right hand of the Father, that he's absolutely unique. There's no one like him. It's a model for us to be able to have this story ready to share, glad to tell, 
to put our own lives in it and say, I would not be the person that I am today. I would not be the man, the woman, the wife, the husband, the son, the daughter, the person that walks through life today without Jesus transforming my life. And I wanna share it with you. And that's what Peter is doing, is saying, you need to hear this. But what he has just done is kind of the historical part. He said, this is the story. And then he moves on to this next question, which is, why does this matter? Why does this matter? And he gets right to it and he says this in verse 36. Therefore, why does this matter? Therefore, here it is. Let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. That's, that's a summary statement. Like, like he's done. Like that, that was the land. That's like the mic drop. The, let all Israel know that this Jesus who you crucified, who you killed, is both, has been made by God, both Lord and Messiah. Let's not miss this, okay? There's two terms here, there's two titles, and we have to get it because it explains why this all matters. And for Israel, it mattered because they were waiting for the promised one. And they knew that God was gonna send a promised one because although, in, looking back to Joel, there's a lot of judgment, there's also this promise. God's coming and to fulfill his promise. And Peter just drops it with these two terms that are so helpful for us to remember. And so as you're telling yourself the good news over and over again, as you're sharing it with those around you, the good news is not just the story of Jesus, kind of the historical reality of what happened, death, resurrection, exaltation, but there's a why it matters. And why it matters is, can be summarized with these two terms, Lord and Messiah. They're so helpful to remember. Lord, or we could also say Christ. Lord is a, is a term that is, is used for the God of the universe. And so when Peter says that Jesus is Lord, he's calling him divine in the same way that they would have acknowledged that God was divine over everything. He says, no, 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 Jesus is divine. Jesus is God. And he, he said, we're not, gonna, we're not gonna mince any words about it. Jesus is unique because he's God. And this is about to get threatened because it, when you say that Jesus is God, there's a sense of he's got, he's got rulership. He's got authority over everything. Another word that is used right along with that is, is king. We, we, maybe you've heard this term before of, of kingship, of this, this power and ability to rule over. And so why does it matter that Jesus is unique and there's no one like him? It matters because he has claim on our life to tell us who we are, that God tells us who we are. We don't tell ourselves who we are. I know that sounds just anathema today. Like it's it, it almost illegal to say that. But to say that the God of the universe is king, Jesus is king, and he actually tells us who we are. And part of who we are is, is this beautiful creation that God has had his fingerprints on each and every one of us, coupled with a brokenness and sin and a willful decision to go our own way. God tells us that that's who we are, valuable and good and beautiful and designed by him and yet sinful and broken and go our own way and disobey and dishonor. The God that Jesus says, this is who you are. And not only does God have reign to tell us our identity, but he tells us the way to live in this world. As we looked at those first few questions that were up there today, one of the key questions is how should I live now? Oh, we have all sorts of answers for how we should live. We have all sorts of answers for how we conduct ourselves in the world today. The decisions that we make, the personal autonomy that we have to make those decisions. 
Why this matters is because when we declare Jesus as Lord and as King, we are then placing him in a place over us where he belongs, that he actually tells us how to live in this world. And part of being a follower of Jesus, part of understanding and responding to the good news of what's actually happened in history is to also go along with that and say, Jesus, you are King. Jesus, you are Lord. And so you tell me what to do. I don't tell you what I'm going to do. You tell me how to live in this world. You tell me that I'm designed and created to best experience my existence and the existence of others by obeying you and falling in line to who you've said I am and how I am to live. That's what it means to have a king. That's what it means to have somebody who rules over us. And let's not make any mistake about it. We are all ruled by something. We all worship something. And when we worship something, we love it. And when we love it, it has power over us. And the best one to have power over me and you and anyone who's ever lived or ever will live is their creator, the God of the universe. And so when we declare Jesus as Lord, we're saying he has a right to tell us who we are and how we live. The other term there is Messiah, which is the Hebrew word for anointed one. Christ is the Greek word for anointed one. So Messiah or Christ. So Lord and Christ or Lord and Messiah. Messiah, the anointed one, the promised one. And so all of Israel, when he says, hey, listen, all of Israel, you've been waiting. You know your history that God has promised to send one. This is the one. It's Jesus. Jesus is the one who was promised and now he's here. And so not only is he here and have kingship over us, but he also has He also is our savior. He's the only one that can deliver us. Messiah or Christ was the anointed one, the promised one, the deliverer who was promised by God to come and to save. Now, we dealt with this a couple weeks ago because uh, some of the the disciples, when they heard Jesus say, you're gonna get the power of the Holy Spirit, they immediately went to, if you remember this, um, great, you're gonna restore the kingdom to Israel, right? Great, we're gonna have a place of authority with you. You're gonna restore... Israel against Rome and against other nations. And when Peter says Jesus is both Lord and Messiah, when he declares Messiah, he says, no, this isn't just about Israel. This is about everybody. Jesus is the, is the deliverer. Jesus is the savior for everyone. And part of what he's saying there is that when Jesus is exalted to the right hand of the father, everything else is placed under his feet. All his enemies will be placed under his feet. All of creation will be placed under his feet. Later on, Paul writes that that the whole of creation is sustained through Jesus, that Jesus holds it all together, which is a massive thing to reflect on and meditate on and consider. Like Jesus is the one holding all of creation together, but he has authority over all. And the reason he's holding it all together is because in the end, he will restore everything that is broken. And that Jesus is the only one that can do that. And the promise that's coming is that the deliverer who saves each and every one of us will save all of creation in the end. And so Peter says this, and we need to hear it today, that Jesus, who stands alone as utterly unique, is King, is Lord, and is Savior, Deliverer, Christ, Messiah. And when Peter says this is who Jesus is, like us today, they have to respond. And here's their response. They say this, or this is what happens. Verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? What do we do? What do we do with this? They're cut to the heart. There's that sense of of pierced to the heart. 
Like it, like it affects them. It, it, it gets through. You've had that when you've gone through your week and you've answered how you're doing as fine, even though that's the furthest thing from what you're actually experiencing. And then somebody you trust or who asks in just the right way or just the right moment says, how are you doing? And you get pierced through and you go, I'm going to answer this for real. You broke through all the things I've put in front of that. And I'm going I'm to tell you for real how I'm doing. Or somebody who knows you calls you out on something and you realize something you've been hiding from or avoiding, all of a sudden you can't avoid any longer and you've just been cut through. They were cut to the heart. I've been running from Jesus and I can't run from him anymore. I've been telling myself a story about Jesus that isn't the full story about him. I've been downgrading Jesus to somebody like Muhammad or another good guy or a moral teacher or an interesting person. Or I've been reducing Jesus and all of a sudden I'm cut to the heart with the good news of who he is and what he actually is calling me to and offering me. They're cut to the heart. Lord, I read it this way that it's uh, somebody, I forget who, the, who it was where I read this this week, but I've heard it before, but it said that the, the line was this, that most people come to know Jesus, come to believe in Jesus out of a need. That we have some need, that he, we realize our sin and he's the answer, that um, we're broken and we, we have a, a redeemer. Um, that we find no hope and he's the one that brings hope, that we have a need and Jesus meets the need. Most people come to Jesus be out of a need. Absolutely true. Most stay because they're convinced the gospel is true. Most stay because they find out the story is true. Most stay because they've experienced and walked with Jesus and realized, yes, everything that has been said about him has proven true over and over again in my life and others' life. He's fulfilled his promises. He's shown up. I didn't hear his voice for a real long, long time and then all of a sudden I heard her. I knew that he moved in me in some way because I know the gospel is true. So there's a felt need and then there's an actual, yes, this is true. When Jesus is declared as Lord or as King, there's this sense of this calling us out on being broken and sinful and providing a way. And when it says he's Messiah or Christ, the Savior, that he's offering forgiveness and the Holy Spirit. And Peter puts this out here and he says it this way. He says, what must you do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In verse, verse 40 records the response. The call is to repent, to think differently, to turn and to be baptized. It's interesting that I put the two so close together, repent and be baptized. We hear that maybe a, a, lot, of, a lot of the time and we go, yeah, we got the repent part, but like baptism, like that's a thing that my church invites me to do. Like that's kind of optional, right? And yet we find from the very beginning, it's not. Now, are we actually forgiven and saved and do we have the Holy Spirit without being baptized? Absolutely. But here at the very beginning, the very first church gathering, repent, change your mind and be baptized. We've got a baptism coming up in about a month and a half. I think it's November 19th. Um, so if you've repented and you've experienced Jesus, but you've not been baptized, there's going to be a warm tub right here uh, and you can plan to be in it. Here's the response. Verse 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. About 3,000 were added to the number that day. That's a phenomenal response. All of a sudden, there's like, a, like 70 or 120 people. Peter's preaching. The Holy Spirit has shown up. And 3,000 people, it says, are baptized. Like I, 
I don't know if you've ever seen, like there's been these, I, I watched recently the, the movie, The Jesus Revolution, and the story of baptism in Southern California, and it spread across the U.S. in different ways in the 70s. We saw, um, I don't know if you saw it in college campus, I think it was in, it was in Alabama, um, where there was a spontaneous baptism of college students of about 200 a, a week or so ago, two weeks ago. Like, that was a lot. I saw pictures. I can't, I can't imagine 3,000 people. And, how, you know, like, just, like, how much Peter's back hurt from baptizing 3,000 people in the river, wherever it was. But, that, like, that scene is so... But here, here it's happening. Like, the Holy Spirit's moving. And it's because the person and work of Jesus was declared clearly, unashamed, no, no concern about who it offends, but just to deliver the truth of this is who Jesus is and this is how to respond to actually change your mind, to be thinking and going in one direction and go to, I'm going to stop doing that. I'm going to turn and I'm going to, I'm going to willfully go in another direction. And repentance again, isn't a one-time thing. You and I are called to repent repeatedly over and over. The questions that we have are all answered in the person of Jesus. Peter says clearly, and we need to hear it again today of who Jesus is, why it matters, what his call is on our life, and then how to respond. Part of our practice of coming to this table, part of our practice of, of gathering together even is to, is to be reminded and to retell the story that saves us and the story that shapes us of Jesus. And then we come to this table and it's a, it's a physical opportunity to practice repentance and to turn and to say, I did think this, or I did do this, or I was going down this road, and I'm going to shift, and I'm going I'm to ask for forgiveness and, and come back to Jesus. And so I want to invite you as we sing to come to these tables this morning as a, with these two titles, these two names in front of you, of Jesus as King and as Lord as one, and Jesus as Messiah and Christ as the other that he rules over our lives as king and that he has saved us as the only one that can deliver us. And so Jesus, as we come today, we come reminded of your bloodshed and your body broken, reminded of your brutal, ugly, and yet necessary crucifixion for each and every one of us. That your blood was shed, that your body was broken because of our sin and our inability to save ourselves. And so we come again for those of us that need to bring this morning an area of repentance and confession that we do that now and we do it willingly knowing that you're a gracious God that forgives. For those of us that come just humbled by your offer of grace, of your faithful fulfillment of promises over and over again, of your faithfulness to meet us even in this week as we've cried out to you, that we declare clearly and without shame that for all of our questions that you, you are our answer, that we find hope and security and 